In the past few chapters, one process that has been discussed frequently was the integration of unconscious contents into consciousness to bring the traits we hide in our shadow, the traits bound to the anima and animus, under the ego's control. What I teased back in chapter 1 was what the end of this process would look like. What would happen to us when the totality of our psyche was brought into balance? In Jung's mind, this state would be referred to as the self. When we bring what we are in the present moment into harmony with all the things we could be, then the purpose of life is fulfilled. We become the highest version of ourselves. We become synonymous with the imago dei or the god image. The self is another archetype of the unconscious, like the shadow, the anima, the animus, and many others. Like those aforementioned archetypes, the self also has the ability to possess the ego and bend it to its will. In this chapter, Jung goes on to outline two potential scenarios where the relationship between ego and self can turn sour. The first scenario I will present to you is what I like to call the crime and punishment scenario. For those of you who have not read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, the story is about a man named Raskolnikov who commits murder and gets away with it. However, he suffers a lot of psychological consequences for having committed the murder. What seems to happen to Raskolnikov is he has offended the part of his psyche that strives toward a higher ideal. There is some unconscious force within him that tortures him constantly reminding him that what he did was a crime against nature. For all intents and purposes, that unconscious force might as well be the Jungian self. For all intents and purposes, the self in this case can also be referred to as one's conscience. The second scenario is what I like to refer to as the ego inflation scenario, because that is literally what it is. In this case, the self doesn't subsume the ego, but the ego subsumes the self. The ego sees the image of the self from within and assumes that the self is them. The person will assume that they are the totality of the self and act out in arrogant, holier-than-thou ways. We see this in celebrity culture, for example. When a famous person is lauded as the second coming of Jesus, they might let it go to their head. They might begin to believe that they are this great person already when in many cases, they have just as great a need for personal development as anyone else. In order to prevent these two scenarios from happening, the ego must not be overcome by the dictates of the self, nor can they assume that they already are the self. Instead, one must grant the image of the self its own autonomy. We already do this in a sense because moral people grant their conscience autonomy. Both mean the same thing. By being obedient to the image of the self and how the self works through one's conscience, unconscious contents can be integrated properly. At the end of this process, one's conscious side will come into alignment with one's unconscious side and thus become the Jungian self. Now, what I just laid out is sufficient enough to understand the archetype of the self. However, to understand the archetype's relation to the rest of the book, Jung lays out a new problem. Jung understands that this abstraction known as the self does not necessarily work in the realm of science. 
To use his own words, the purely biological or scientific standpoint falls short in psychology because it is, in the main, intellectual only. He goes on to say that while science is obviously useful and, by extension, our intellect, both are not entirely sufficient when it comes to psychic phenomena. When we describe psychic phenomena to others or in psychology textbooks, we are describing feelings and emotions, which cannot be entirely grasped by the intellect or by measurement. Here's a good way to think about it. What makes a good piece of art? Can one determine the quality of art through measurement and rationality? No, because art is subjective. By extension, what is also subjective are the feelings and emotions which art produces. Because science doesn't tend to dabble in the realm of the subjective but seeks to define objective reality, concepts like the self are incompatible. Yet, as we have elucidated with Scenario 2, the image of the self has its utility, despite its unscientific basis. If one doesn't recognize the self and the interpsychic processes it symbolizes as autonomous, one might mistake those processes as the rational will. I'm going to repeat that. If one doesn't recognize the self and the interpsychic processes it symbolizes as autonomous, one might mistake those processes as the rational will. In that case, the ego becomes inflated. Even though Jung acknowledges that his concept of self is incompatible with science, it seems, nonetheless, to be describing a psychological truth. It is an abstract representation of one's inner psychic processes, ones that cannot be grasped by science and measure. One recognizes the presence of the shadow when a movie character enters a dark, chthonic underworld, for example. One recognizes the presence of the syzygy whenever they see a union of a divine ideal couple. The self is no different. The self has been symbolized in many ways by images that denote completeness, in the form of mandalas, quaternities, the Greek eidos, or eidos, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, the modern superhero, and the highest form of all being religious deities. This is why Jung refers to the self as the Amago Dei, the God image. What do people do with gods? They worship them for their completeness, their elevated state, and simultaneously, they try to emulate the gods. The concept of the self is what all people strive for, the best version of themselves. Billions of people have struggled for millennia to determine what the best representation of the self is. Entire religious systems have been built around this concept, and the quote-unquote best ones have lasted for thousands of years. Now, as for what the best representation of the self is, in Jung's mind, that would probably be Jesus Christ a figure that has held sway over billions of people for being, supposedly, the ideal man. We will discuss this matter further in the next video. Before we conclude, I want to address the issue of science again, as it will set up the contents of the next few chapters. Needless to say, there is a conflict between science and religion. This conflict has been intensifying for the last few centuries, with science turning many people away from religion. As a result, the religious symbols and images that many people once worshipped have begun to lose their meaning. They forgot that what these things were trying to represent was that higher ideal to strive to. 
But what does one do when that image of the self breaks down and loses its meaning? What does one do, as Nietzsche would say, when God is dead? If the light half of the self represents God, what happens when that light half is consumed by the dark half? This will be a key focus of the next few chapters. Thank you all for watching. If you like this video, please make sure to give it a like. Make sure to subscribe so you can see future videos in this series. Also, if you want to support the work I am doing here, please consider going to my Subscribestar page. There are different rewards you will receive depending on how much you donate. There's a link to it in the description box below. If you don't have the capacity to leave a donation, that's totally cool. Really, the most important thing you can do to help me out is share this video. Share it with a fellow Jordan Peterson fan or Young fan so we can come together and talk about stuff that is intelligent and meaningful for a change. Also, remember to subscribe to both Uberboyo and Jimmy Boyo for more discussion about Ion and other Jungian content. I'll leave a link to their channels down below in the description box. Until next time, stay yellow.